Welcome to the Indigo Tent and podcast number seven, where today we unpack thoughts about bias. I'm so glad to be here and I'm really excited about our guest today. Tell us about her. I'm thrilled to welcome Tali Ben-David Connell. She and I have been friends for a few years now and we found out um, that we have a similar educational background, which is anthropology. And so we were laughing a little bit about how much anthropologists are always talking about, ooh, the bias in this and the bias in that. And so it just seemed like it would be a great topic to talk about and unpack a little bit. So welcome, Tali. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Zella. It's wonderful to be here. And very, very true. You know, I think that it was an instant connection when, when Wendy and I did meet. And uh, we also have a South Pacific connection, which is interesting as well. But that's... Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and, and your, what you've done as an anthropologist. Okay, well, I think I, that's fascinating. Thank you. Well, um, I, um, when I finished my graduate work, I taught both um, here in the States and South Florida as well as abroad. And I did my field work in the South Pacific and in the Middle East as well. And um, after teaching, I got involved with the Anti-Defamation League that allowed me to do some common ground building uh, and bias awareness trainings uh, for throughout the state of Florida. Putting that bias to use in another whole perspective. It is. And you know, I think in anthropology, we actually used to call it ethnocentrism, you know, the, the incapacity to see beyond your own cultural lens other yes. people, you know? So you're kind of stuck wearing this one set of glasses and that's, how you view the world and you're incapable of removing those glasses and putting new ones and viewing things from the perspective of the people that you're studying and mind you studying humans is not an easy any any social science is complicated because you don't have that pet petri dish that separates you from what you're studying you know right it's your own species with all of the there goes that word again bias that right. is built in to our experience and all the variables absolutely right and as soon as you think you've got a stereotype or a commonality then there's that one category over here that just completely throws out that out the window the outliers of the, the outliers. hello not really <laughs> wait but that's not part of your culture or is it exactly. now what i understand is that currently you work with school districts helping them to unpack bias Yes. You have, a, you have a nice background of a personal experience when you were doing your field work. Tell us about that. Okay. Um, when I was doing field work, it was really my first opportunity to put to the test the methodology, right? Can Tali study other humans? Is it possible to collect data and to tell a story about a people without having your bias conquer the entire story. How do you do that? And so you do that. <laughs> and because so I'll it. tell you what, what my, you know, my process was basically, you know, I prepared myself with at least three or four notebooks. I had the notebook where I would very um, openly dump everything I was feeling, no matter what it was. And it was an unedited, just raw downloading into a journal. I had a journal for the for my conversations with children. I had a journal for conversations with women. I had a journal for older, uh, you know, the, the older people in the village that I spoke with. 
And one day I realized as I, as I was sitting on my mattress, just how many parts of me there were. So, as, so the, the, all these journals were representing really me. It wasn't representing them. It was representing all the categorization that I was creating to begin <laughs> oh, with, right? And, and it was based on your interactions with different groups within the overall culture. Exactly. And that's what's important in our podcast. We talk about interactions. So now go back, Tali, and tell us the interaction that you, the inner, not inter, but the interaction you ended up having with yourself and realizing your bias. Okay. So as you can imagine, in engaging people that you're not familiar with, you're going to be encountering things that you dislike, disapprove of, judge. And actually, I had to pack my bags and leave the village. That's how, you know, the judgment got so harsh on my end, right? that I had to take a break and I went to the capital and I just left, I went to the city and I had to decompress and speak to a few professors and uh, regroup and figure out if I can be an anthropologist when I grow up or whether I, that was, you know, kind of a, all right, nice try. Next. <laughs> what was it that you were observing that troubled you? What was the bias? I, I mm, okay. The, the, the bias was how uh, uh, the interaction between the elders and children the interactions between males and females. So the- Kind of like what was normal for them in their village was not something we in our other cultures were used to seeing or used to understanding, perhaps? Yes, and I think that it was, you know, punishment, for instance, how, I will tell you, punishment was very harsh on children. For my very biased, subjective, you know, I, I couldn't tolerate it, I had to leave. In respect for the people that I worked with, they are loving and kind people. The purpose in discussing bias is to show how my bias got in my own way and how the only way around it was to recognize all the times in my life that I wasn't acting and behaving and making choices that I truly thought were high and, and, and impressive and the best version of me that I, even though I elevate and respect certain behaviors and expect it of the people that I surround myself with, failed to step in and act in, in those ways in many occasions. And so there, that's where the authenticity kicked in and the empathy to them came. So when I was able to look in the mirror and go, whoa, 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 why are you so judgmental of the way that they treat the little kid or that, you know, the argument that this couple had and the way that it was handled? How many times did you mishandle arguments? What? Us? Me, 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 <laughs> no. And so we have this blind spot. Bias produces in its package a blind spot. I see where you're not okay, but I don't see my own bias. I see how you're treating the Hispanic lady or the, or the African-American person or the whatever. And I do not see the bias that I hold within me. And I also don't self-reflect on my own behavior as much as I do on judging your behavior. Mm -hmm. And so when I work with children in schools, for instance, I tell them, go, where does respect begin? Where does it begin? I go, where does this work begin? And they're like, we, we need to be kind to each other. And they throw all these beautiful things. I go, I go, no, it begins here with you. In the morning and you look in the mirror and you brush your teeth, what is that internal dialogue? What is going on in your head? Mm -hmm. Are you loving yourself or are you going, oh, are you greeting a stranger? Are you greeting someone you're in conflict with? 
that first interaction with you, that that's where respect is born or not. Or lost. And that's that's something that our listeners can do with themselves each day. As we unpack here in in the tent, as we're unpacking bias, listeners, what we're encouraging when you wake up, what are you telling yourself? Where does the respect have to start before you can unpack your bias against another person within a different culture? Are you loving and accepting yourself? Start there. Yeah. And that's what we refer to as the inner action. Beautiful. How do we act inside ourselves? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And so, it's, so again, I think that a lot of what the remedies that or the options of, or how we navigate bias is, again, is about that inner action. It's about that capacity that we have to self-reflect. It's also built into us. Yes, we have an amygdala. It's very ancient. It's there to protect us from tigers and, tr- and trucks. And sometimes it's there when social threats show up because it doesn't know how to distinguish between a physical and a social threat. But we also have that. We also have that capacity to, right. to go back and reflect on what we're doing, to weave in new actions maybe yeah. that we don't normally do. We do both, you know? Right. And that's where I think we hear a lot about in the work that we do and with people that we work with, like the first place that you can actually start to make a change is by developing an awareness that something actually might need to be changed. And I think in our conversations, Tala, you've talked about that too, with in terms of bias is before we can even think about removing a bias or changing a bias, we actually have to be aware that we have a bias ourselves, consciously and unconsciously. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, what happens in trainings, and it was interesting because when I did a training with high schoolers, what I did is I actually set up certain elements that were showing up a lot in the school that they, that they organically were sharing with me. So for instance, they raised a, um, a situation where rumors would spread about, women, about girls being pregnant. And I'll think of all the shame that goes with it. And, and, and they said, so I, I add them self-select rep- to represent different aspects of that sort of drama, if you will, okay, that scenario. And it was mm-hmm. fascinating because it was a male that chose to represent the person spreading the rumor. It was a male that chose to represent the pregnant uh, young teenager, okay? It was interesting who self-selected to be in role. So there was something open in that particular group to feel what it would be like to be in somebody else's shoes, which is the definition of what? Empathy. Mm. Empathy. Empathy was already there. Mm. The seed. So we went so far in that certain situation because the other members that were observing, see, and that's where we receive healing, not just by observing things, we receive healings and growth. You don't just have to be um, sort of in the starring roles in order to gain benefits and expand our consciousness and experience. Sometimes we can just be around it. And so these children were amazing in their capacity to just put themselves in the situation of somebody else and see what it feels like and shift and move and choose to do things differently. And then the unpacking of that scenario, do you know that the boys in the training said that they were never, ever going to spread a rumor about girls being pregnant ever again, that they weren't gonna laugh, they weren't gonna participate in it, and they were not. And these are our high schoolers are 17 year olds. These are not, you know, little tiny kids. This was mm-hmm. not a kid theme anyways. 
So that's just one example of how we can, by pausing, creating safe spaces where we can engage each other and create exercises and experiences that put us in different positions, we're already creating new reference points for our, for our brain, right? Who's the main orchestrator of this thing called life. Okay, so Tali, we've unpacked quite a few things and based on your experiences in the field and then now working with teenagers in the school systems within Florida, how would you define bias? Your old definition, your new definition and somewhere come up with it with a creative definition that we can leave with our listeners. Well, it's an inclination or a preference either for or against an individual or group that interferes with impartial judgment. It's for or against, right? I will feel more comfortable walking in a conference room to a group of women than to a group of men is a bias, right? These are all these preferences. Now, a lot of times what we're talking about when we talk about bias are, are fractions of, of a second. Some of these decisions aren't, wait, let me pause and make this decision here of what I'm going to do. It's just knee jerk, boom, boom, boom. And that knee jerk, boom, 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 is our amygdala working. And our, the adult in the brain, the frontal lobe, is the one, wait a minute, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to scope the room out. I want to see who's in it. I'm not rushing. I'm going to go get myself a cocktail. And I'm going to observe a little bit more. And it just takes its time. And that's sort of the rational, slower process these things, you know, in, in a slower way than the amygdala who, that is fight, flight. What do you want to do? You know, this is a threat. No, it's okay. Stay alive. No, stay. No, move. And, and when, when the amygdala is trying to sort of conquer and become a narrator, we're in trouble because sometimes it picks up on a cue that's just not true and it just tries to build a story on it. And then the frontal cortex picks up on that one and then we are even deeper, more entrenched, right? In whatever right. story. And then we go back to those biases that we've been taught or that we were ingrained Absolutely. in our very being that are, that are on a subconscious level that we don't even know about. And we're relying on those biases to help us make a judgment against this situation or the person. Right. Well, I think the whole work is to shift us from, from bias to curiosity, from judgment to curiosity, from judgment to inquiry. Right. No, I know from telling to asking, right? Shift. Just, you know, accept that this is what we are. We are biased. Hello. We are biased. Period. This is it. So the more authentic we are with what our preference and comfort zone is, the more of a chance we have to stretch that. What I mean by stretch that is to get out of the comfort zone a little bit because if the amygdala responds to physical and social threats equally, there is something we can do about it because we understand that not every time, you know, a man walks by in the hallway, I'm, 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 I'm in trouble or potentially in trouble. That, that, that is just not true, right? In general terms, I'm not talking about exceptions and outliers, I'm talking about the general. Everyday life. Right. What do we do with this thing called bias? Again, it, the more aware we are of who we are, of what we prefer, of what we find comfortable and what we find uncomfortable, the more of a chance we have to engage these things from a place that is not threatening. So we kind of put a pause button on the emergency button, shift the frontal cortex in order to have a conversation. We're specifically talking about social bias, right, today. We're not talking about situations where we're in physical danger. We're talking about situations where we get activated and angry upset and shut down yeah, by someone's true. opinion, by the way someone dresses. We just get triggered. And there is no way that 
we will ever speak to this person and create an, some sort of dialogue that could open up and move us from our bias unless we put a pause button on that anger. And then one thing to look at is the words that we use because they generate values. So speak to us about how we can change the dialogue internally by using different words. How do we change our inner dialogue to help us to not see everything as a threat? The first thing we have to accept is that there are many truths, there are many experiences. You know, if I'm coming to a field in the other side of of the world where I live and expecting to see the same, there's something wrong with that to begin with. Because if I, the the minute we step out of our own home, things are going to be different. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we're not in our own home. And if we can accept that as a premise, then we've got to start animating our life and living our life like this is this curious place. And we don't know what we're going to bump into and let's ask people questions when we meet them and not walk in our own movie. Because what ends up happening is that we're creating these closed circuit versions of reality that are really diluting our potential experience here. It's not as rich to live in your head. Could you like to check reality and ask a question and just get out for a minute, open the curtain, see the weather? Or do you want to live so entrenched and closed in your own world? Are you so uh, um, certain that that's just it? This is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be for me because it works for me, but it doesn't have to be that way for Wendy or for Zella or for my, or for my neighbors even, you know? Is that okay? Can we contemplate that there are other realities that are happening in parallel to our own that are just as exciting and kind? Bias is huge, but so is mindfulness. Not a coincidence, because what mindfulness offers is really this menu of options of how to create that pause so that you can make better decisions. Yes, some are instinctual and and the amygdala is there to help us survive. But when we are entrenched in, in, in beliefs that are excluding or beliefs that just make us feel less connected to ourselves and our community, then it's an opportunity to pause whether it's meditate, whether it's go for a walk, whether it's sit and have a cup of tea in your yard, invite your neighbor to sit with you for a minute. Hey, do you have, do you have time this week to connect? Make social contact a priority because if we want to create, feel connection in the end and if we want to overcome our, our bias, we have to know another, one another. We have to realize that there's other ways of thinking outside of our own perspective. And that was the other big thing from the anthropology training is that when we go and explore another culture, we find and discover a whole new way of thinking about living. We end up discovering a whole new way to think about ourselves. Yes, we do. And which is why, interestingly enough, the the core of the method is participant observation. So you're participating, you're observing, and I would probably add that self-reflection piece, which is huge, huge, which is what you said, Zella, you know, that, you know, this, this is really, the more you study, you're not, you think you're studying them, but you're really doing some serious research about who you are because you really are removing yourself from that comfort zone. So it's all very much amplified. So yes, and anthropologists take it to an extreme, and I think it's an extreme (laughs) exercise. A wee bit. It's more joyful to walk around curious. You start feeling lighter. There's something about opening that door and walking out today and saying, I wonder what's going to happen today. That is very different than walking out from that door knowing. 
Oh, I like that. And I think that's a great place to wrap up this podcast, listeners. Walk out your door today, tomorrow, wondering and have a sense of curiosity about your neighbors, about your coworkers. We, ha- we think we know them and we don't. Start with yourself. Know yourself. Be curious about their lives and generate some, some interactions that are on the positive realm. And that's one way we can address the bias within ourselves and within this complicated society. What a great way to end the podcast. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. To tap into our higher self, we seek to align the elements of interaction with harmony. What element will you use today, dear listener, to transform you into your highest self?